And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. All right, last year for our Christmas series, we considered uh, a biblical theology of peace because, of course, peace on earth is one of the great themes of Christmas. And this year, our theme will be hope, if you'd like to say it technically, a biblical theology of hope. But to remember and to celebrate the birth of Jesus is to increase and renew hope in our lives. As the hymn that we would have sung this morning has said, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, hope of all the earth thou art. And today, in addition to the passage that we read for our Old Testament reading, I'm now going to read to, for us two great passages from the New Testament to get us started on the theme of hope and looking at it together. They are printed in your bulletins, or feel free to follow along with me in your own Bibles if you have them. This is the Word of God. I'm going to begin in Romans chapter 8 with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now let me pick up for us now in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to begin at verse 11 and read through the end of that chapter for us. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Lord God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for these great words that we have read just now. Thank you, Jesus, for the great work that you have done to secure our hope. We pray that you would help us in the weeks to come to grow in our ability to hold it fast with full encouragement, with full assurance and conviction. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last words, a coffin in Egypt. That is a strange place to end the book of Genesis. And perhaps it's a stranger place to begin a Christmas series on the theme of hope. I admit it, I confess it, but I could not resist it. We don't generally think of coffins as hopeful as being full of hope. Instead, we, we of course, right, see them as the opposite of hope. They're dark, they're deep, they're final. We look at a coffin and it is, it, it is the statement, it is the end. Joseph didn't see it that way. That's, that's not how he viewed the end of his life. Like Jacob, his father, like Isaac, his grandfather, like Abraham, his great-grandfather, great he was a man of faith. And as a man of faith, he was a man of hope in the promises of God. And as a result, the coffin is viewed differently. His bones are viewed differently. The coffin is a box, and sometimes good things come in boxes and come out of boxes. It is a safe deposit box. That coffin of his is going to be taken and stored in a safe place where no one can get to it. It is a chest. It is, as I called it years ago when we were in the book of Exodus or ending the book of Genesis, it is a hope chest and it's waiting. And today, the way I want us to think about it, a coffin in Egypt is as a treasure chest. And when you open it up, what you find when you open up that box you find it to be full of promises, full of precious promises from God, promises that Joseph was sure of, promises that God would visit from on high, promises that God would prepare a place for his people. God will surely visit you and will take you up from here and bring you to the place that I promised, that he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Promises of a future. Promises are in that box of a living hope. They are not merely dry bones in that box. They are the promises of a living hope, and Joseph understood. 
Joseph understood the promises of God applied to the people of God and to him as well. The birth, the birth of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of the old promise. The birth of Jesus is the hope that penetrates the deepest and darkest corners and the shadow of death that exists in this world. A sealed coffin can't keep out the hope found in the birth of Jesus Christ. That's how precious and powerful the treasure of hope is. So what I want to do today, just as we introduce this series, is ask and answer a few very basic questions on hope that will get us started using the passages that are before us along with a few others. And the first question then is, of course, what is hope? What are we talking about? Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not merely optimism. Biblical hope is not simply staying positive in tough situations. And biblical hope is not, and this is important, just looking on the bright side of things. Now, those things might be nice, right? It might be nice to be an optimistic person and look on the bright side of things. It may somehow be associated with our faith or come out from our faith, but that's not the full picture of what biblical hope is. Before we try to define hope, think for a moment of what is the opposite of hope. If, if you looked up, and of course I looked it up, I'm preaching today, but if you looked up uh, antonyms of hope, what kind of words would be there as the opposite of hope? A gloom, despair, discouragement, bleakness. Uh, in a lot of the lists of the antonyms that you would find, uh, the word disbelief is found there. To hope is to believe. And when you don't have hope, you don't believe in anything good to come. So what then is hope? Well, a general, general definition of hope might be the expectation of something good or something beneficial that will take place, that will come in the future. And hope is, of course, future-oriented. And whatever you're expecting in the future is, of course, good. That's why you're hopeful about that particular thing. If you're hopeful, you expect a good outcome to arrive. Now, if you expect something negative in terms of a future outcome, you're not hopeful about that negative outcome. Instead, what might you say? Uh, I'm fearful. I, I dread the days to come or this coming day because fill in the blank is going to take place on that day. The person who is hopeful with respect to the future would be someone who smiles at the days to come, who laughs at the days to come, if we can use once again the woman in Proverbs 31 as our example. So here you go. Here's a definition for you more biblically oriented. Biblical hope is the conviction 
or assurance, the conviction or the assurance that God will keep his promises, that his name may be glorified in all the earth, and that we will share in that glory. That's what biblical hope is. I'll repeat it again. Biblical hope is the conviction or assurance that God will keep his promises, that his name may be glorified in all the earth, and that we will share in that glory. Look at the passages that are before us today. Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The hope is in the coming glory, or down in verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, or back in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hebrews 6 explains to us kind of the first part of this phrase, that, that biblical hope is full assurance, right? It's, it's confident expectation. Verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And the way you get a hope that is full of assurance is the promises of God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. He's talking about the promises of God. You're going to be one who will inherit the promises. You've got to look at the people who have gone before you, the people who had a confident hope because they saw the promises that God made and how God kept those promises. Now, all manner of words throughout Scripture are kind of associated with hope. They bump into hope. They snuggle up next to hope. Perhaps the ones that you would think of uh, right from uh, the beginning are, you think of faith, hope, love, right? At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, you think of faith and hope and love, but that's not the only place where we find this trinity of Christian virtues, this triad of graces together. I put another one on the front of your bulletin uh, this morning where Paul is giving thanks for the Thessalonians, remembering before God your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the definition of faith includes the idea of hope, right? If I asked you what faith was, you'd quote for me Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is very closely related to hope. Trust is similar to faith and often used as a synonym to hope. Uh, if, if you turn with me for just a moment to the call to worship, it's on page two of your bulletin in the middle to the top section of the page there. If we went back to verses 16 and 17, I, I, I did one and then 18 here. But if we went back, we would see that we're not to put our trust or to put our hope. We're not to put it in the horse or the bow or in a man or in a king. We're not to put our hope, our trust in wealth, but we should 
hope in the Lord. And if you look at this, it, it, it works exactly through that idea or the idea that we're talking about here and this, the familiar words that are verse 18. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Verse 19 then describes the promises that are there, delivering soul, keeping us from famine. Verse 20 gets in the idea that waiting is part of this. Our soul waits for the Lord. Verse 21 brings in the idea of trust because we trust in his holy name. And then verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Now, if you look back up to that Romans passage, uh, turn the page back over to page four. If you look at that Romans passage, Paul makes it clear that by definition, by definition, we don't see the things that we hope for, the things for which we hope. We don't see them. We wait for them. We long for them, but we don't see them. So hope, by definition, is talking about something that cannot be seen, something that is not now, something that is in the future and coming. So uh, if your child says to you, I hope that one day I get to go to see a Major League Baseball game. I can't wait. And so you take this child and you take him to their first Major League game and you're there with all of the sights and the green grass and the guys throwing the ball across the field and the sounds, the people yelling, the sound of the bat, the sound of balls being caught. And, and, and you experience all that there is to see and hear and smell in a major league stadium. And your child looks at you and says, I hope that one day I'll get to see a major league baseball game. You're going to correct your child, right? You're going to, you're going to say, child, this is it. We're not hoping anymore. Hey, we're, we're here. We're doing it. We're seeing it right now. Hope, by definition, doesn't see it waits it's to come. It's to wait and to wait well, to wait patiently by God's grace, even if that waiting involves much groaning. That's what Romans 8 is talking about. Romans 8 is talking about the suffering and the tribulation that we have and endure in this world and then it personifies creation to create a little bit of a parallel for us. There's the suffering and the tribulation that we have. There's the groaning that goes on in the creation itself. But what Paul says is this groaning that characterizes hope, this, this groaning isn't the groaning of dread. Hope transforms groaning. You still groan, but it's a labor pain. It's a birth pang, and that's a different type of groaning. That's not the groaning of dread. That's the groaning of hoping, of waiting for something, of eagerly longing for God to keep his promises, just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph eagerly waited for God to keep his promises. And because... And this goes back to Hebrews chapter 6. And because the promises were made, because they were 
sealed with an oath, and thus doubly sealed, the idea here, when God speaks it, that's enough, but you got a double seal on top of that when God swears an oath on top of what he's spoken, because Jesus has come, because Jesus has now been exalted, and he's behind the curtain, exalted into the inner place of God, because, and this takes us back to Romans, because the Spirit of God has been poured out upon us as a kind of first fruit, as a first deposit of the hope and the fulfillment of the promises, then we have confidence. We have the full assurance of hope. That's what hope is. Hope is the conviction, the assurance that God is going to keep his promises, to glorify his name in all the earth, and that we will share in that glory. So why is that so important? Why do we need hope so desperately? Try this. As a kid, I spent a lot of time bailing out boats. We spent a lot of time uh, on the water. I had a whole variety of boats. All of them leaked. To some extent, all of them leaked in one way. And so bailing was a regular part of my life. You bail out the boat before you use the boat. What happens if you lose hope when you're bailing out the boat? You sink. You're sunk. If you lose hope, you are sunk. Hope in something in the future is eminently practical for the present. Hope animates us. Hope energizes us. Hope rejuvenates us. Hope keeps us going. Hope keeps us afloat. It keeps us bailing. Keeps us bailing. That's why we need hope so desperately. Hope isn't a luxury. Hope isn't just an add-on to the Christian life. Hope isn't just a tack-on to faith. Hope we need desperately in the Christian life. Look, look at Hebrews 6 again. Okay, so Hebrews 6, we, we looked at 11. We want the full assurance of hope until the end. Why do you want the full assurance of hope? Why do we need the full assurance of hope? Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. Hope keeps us from being sluggish. It keeps us enduring. It keeps us patient. It keeps us persevering. It keeps us working. And therefore, hope is nothing less than transformational. People who don't have hope quit. People who have hope press on. Think of it just in your own sanctification. If you have no hope of growing in the Lord, if you have no hope of putting sin to death, you quit that process. People who have hope press on. Without hope, we sink. Without hope, we decline. Without hope, our groaning is a downward groaning. Without hope, 
Our weeping is the weeping of desperation. The Bible says, of course, in 1 Thessalonians 4, that we do not weep as those who have no hope. Their weeping is characterized by hopelessness. It is a wailing to dread our weeping is a birth panic. It's groaning in expectation of what is to come. In Ephesians 2, Paul says of us, we were once a people separated from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, without God having no hope. That's who we once were, a people without hope. And now, if you want to turn to page 5, Ephesians 1.18 is in the middle of page 5, towards the bottom perhaps. Now we are a people who have had the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The work that Jesus has done, and that for which Paul continues to pray within for the people of God, is that our eyes would be opened so that we would see the hope that has been given to us, because that is a transformational hope. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, so that he keeps bailing. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, take your pick. Translations change the word all the time. Those who hope in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, hope, wait, trust, all the same idea from that word. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why is hope so important? Because it keeps us going. It keeps us waiting patiently. In hope, Paul says, we were saved. That's why it's so important. In hope, we were saved. Last question for the day. Where do you get it? Where do you get hope? How do you get it? Now, I'm going to look at that in sermons to come, so nothing in detail today in answer to that. But as a start, this is another place where we differ from the world. Everybody needs hope. Even the world needs hope. They recognize that, just recognize it from being created in the image of God and the situation in which we find ourselves. We've got to have some hope. And so the world looks for hope internally, and it looks for it circumstantially. Circumstantially, it kind of looks at things around and says things aren't so bad. There's a vaccine coming. We can make something of this. And, and all of the hope of the world is temporal. I hope I do well on the test that's coming up. I, I hope I meet someone I really like. I hope I get into the right school. I hope I get the right job. I hope I have enough saved for retirement. It's always temporal, and it's internally sourced. Where's the hope come from? Well, dig down deep. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You can overcome. Biblical hope 
must be outsourced. It has to be outsourced. It's too expensive to do it on your own, and it is impossible to do on your own. You do not have the resources to be able to do it on your own. True hope must be outsourced to another country. You're going to have to outsource it to a heavenly country. I hope you've got your bulletins open to page 5. The benediction is towards the top half of that page, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Where do you get hope? From the God of hope. From the possessor of hope who desires to give it so that, so that you would abound in hope. Do you believe that? That the God of hope desires to give you hope through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you abound in hope. Where does it come from? It comes from God. To grant us hope takes far more than a pastor standing here saying, have hope. Be a hopeful person. Look on the bright side of things. No, it, it takes more than that. First Peter 1, 3, at the bottom of that page. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does it take to give you a living hope? New birth. New birth. Nothing less. You have to have new birth in Christ to have a living hope. And in that birth, the box is opened. A new birth. And the one who went first is not Joseph, because now we've got to switch the box and we've got to make it a cave. And in that cave, the stone is rolled away, and you go into that cave and you look for the bones or you look for the body, and you get the answer, he's not here. He's risen. Wait, he's risen from the dead? Hope has penetrated this cave, this sealed tomb? Hope has penetrated this? Yes, the living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. True hope is a gift given. It is to be received, not drawn from the dry well of your old stony heart. Jeremiah 29, 11, middle of that page. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Where do you get hope? It has to be given. To give you a future and a hope. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, towards the bottom. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Where'd you get hope? You got it because God loved you. Because God loved you and he gave to you eternal comfort. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Speak comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto them. 
that their warfare is ended, that their iniquity is pardoned. He gave you eternal comfort and good hope. Take both of these. Your sins are forgiven. Good hope is given to you. Take them. Abound in hope. So today, take the gift of good hope, of living hope out of the box. Have you been to the Smithsonian? Have you gone into, I can't remember which museum it is, whichever one, Some one of you will tell me after this. Have you gone into the museum, gone into the room, and looked at the Hope Diamond? Seen it behind the glass, sealed off, guards everywhere, who knows what kind of systems are there for the protection of the Hope Diamond. You'll never touch it, let alone wear it. It's kind of disappointing to look at it through a glass. You want to touch it, you want to see it, you want to wear it. That which is given to you, a good hope, a living hope, is not to be locked up and to be kept in a box. It is a, a treasure far more precious than the Hope Diamond. And it is, to be, it is given to you, purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, given to you, and call us, take it out. Take it out. Wear hope. God wants you to abound in hope. Take it out and wear it. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the hope that is in us. And Lord, we confess that we're strugglers with hope. Help us to abound in it. Help us to believe the promises and to find our comfort and our trust and our hope in you.